sellers and welcome back. You have landed on episode number 86 of eBay the right way. The date today is November 9th, 2022 and I am your hostess Suzanne A. Wells. Today's guest is Becky from Arizona. Her claim to fame is selling the egg timer that looked like an egg. (laughs) for $100 that was the cover on the September 19th, 2022 YouTube video if you want to look that up and see it. Now, as promised, I am keeping the Premium Library students updated through podcasts and YouTube, so just a quick note on that. Last week, I added another installment of the Halloween course, so there are five lessons now, totaling one hour and 15 minutes. And yes, Halloween is over for this year, but as you should know by now, since I'm constantly repeating it, seasonal items sell all year. The new lesson focuses on a brand you might not even know sells Halloween decor, and some of the items sell for over $200. These items have appeared repeatedly on the Money Making Monday threads, so that was the inspiration for the lesson, that people are finding these. There is also a new bulletin. This is where I am on camera talking directly to my students with updates, encouragement, and finds and sales of the week with teachable moments. The bulletin on November 4th includes analysis of the eBay announcement that came out on November 1st for the 2022 holiday update. And I found some incorrect information in that announcement and did some detective work to show you what I found. That lesson is about 15 minutes long. So remember to check the monthly updates page in the Premium Library for what has been added and links to those lessons. Okay, now let's get into the conversation with Becky. Hello, listeners. Today, I have the very vivacious and talkative Becky, who also is the famous seller of the egg timer that looked like an egg. (laughs) That was so funny. It's like people know you you by what you sell. Right. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll get to that. So how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. I'm good. We're in Arizona today, but it's a little overcast. We came here to get some sunshine. Um, we're new snowbirds. Um, normally, we live in Colorado, but here we are getting some sun and some warmth. I, I think I have that thing called sad seasonal affective disorder. That's real. Yes, that is real. real thing. I, I get that too. And I actually put up my Christmas tree. Um, I'll be doing that this weekend since we have an extra hour. You don't change your clocks. 
but we do. Um, it helps. It helps. And- so that's why we, we, we've slowly, we've come to Arizona more and more and more often. And, um, in February, this February, we came to Arizona and stayed for a month. Oh, and boy, did I get some good thrifting in, but I'll, I have to tell you something. I stepped in a, um, a divot in a parking lot and I broke my ankle in February <gasps> here in Arizona. No, so I broke all the bones, all three. It was really a deal. <laughs> so we stayed here longer than expected. I had surgery. I had a, a hot pink cast with the flamingo on it. Cause whatever <laughs> I go through, I try to make it as happy as possible. Um, I was glad we got to stay here longer. We stayed here just long enough that we bought a little bungalow, which we wouldn't have bought if I hadn't broken my leg. And so or my, my ankle. Um, and then we left the day after we bought it and went back to Colorado. So it was like a big surprise when we got here in let's see, mid-September and we are just loving it. Oh, good. Good. I'm so glad. But you said you're a Southern girl. I am. I'm from Texas, Um, but I migrated up to Colorado when I, for my second marriage, married to Uh a Colorado guy. He's actually from Oregon, but that's where we live. And we've been married about 19 years. Oh, wow. Good for you. Okay. Um, Cause you don't sound Southern to me. Oh yeah. Well, you know, there's a difference between Texan and deep South and you are deep South. But do I sound like I'm deep South? Yes, you do. Really? Yes, I People love it. That's why I, I don't. You. <laughs> tell me I don't, but I guess it's all about your perspective because there are people way more Southern than I am. A deeper draw. Yes. <laughs> and I can pick it up. I used to do traveling and speaking. I love speaking in the South, but I would come home and I would, you know, have that Atlanta or Georgia accent and uh-huh. for a while it would stick with me. Yeah. Y'all, y'all will not believe this. Yes. Well, we use y'all in Texas quite a bit. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, we got the geography figured out. All right. Um, That's so let's go back to how you got started on eBay. What was the catalyst or inspiration for doing that? Well, you know, my I married a second time. Oh, the second model husband was so much better. I'm really just delighted with him, but we didn't have. <laughs> I'm waiting of- for that. I'm <laughs> waiting for that. <laughs> oh, listen, hang in there. Hang in there. I got a good one. Um, so anyway, um, we were married. Kind of, new- He was a literary agent. I was a writer. So we had that in common. Um, we had kids in common. But after that, he was kind of a sports person. I'm more of a cook, a foodie, a reader, artsy, craftsy. So we couldn't find a lot to do together on the weekends. But one thing we loved that we both still love is going to antique stores. And then that led to estate sales. And to this day, our favorite thing on Saturday is, you know, we get up early and he loves, he does, he's a left brain part of our marriage. So he does all the charting and graphing and knows where we're going to go. And then all I have to do is get my coffee and hop in the car. We have the best time seeing new places and Anyway, so that's how I began. And then I just kind of played with eBay a little bit and a little bit more, a little bit more. And um, I've, I've been a writer, a professional writer for 30 years, and I got tired of just thinking and sitting. Mm-hmm. My body was not in good shape. And so I needed to do something more. And eBay does require that you move a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I started getting sincere and I, I retired from writing a year ago and went full time with eBay. 
Okay, so back to your current husband. Does mm-hmm. he have a brother? he's married (laughs) i should say an available brother you know what i'm gonna i'm just gonna keep my eye out for you i'm gonna find you a good man well that's that's the way it's gonna come i think is through somebody i know um i had a neighbor in my last location in georgia and um he's late 50s and he had five brothers and they were wow. all in public service, either firemen, police officer, sheriff's office, um, ambulance driver, EMT. And, <laughs> oh, and so he his one of his brothers, who's also a fireman, I was like, well, well, how old is he? And is he available? <laughs> like, uh, you don't want to go with a fireman. You don't want to end up with a fireman because they are crazy. I mean, they run into burning buildings on purpose. Right. So. They, yeah, they, they need a lot of adrenaline, which cannot like, be yeah, you, on a marriage. I would say just pick the kindest man you know, the one that's kind to everybody. He's kind to his mother. Yeah. He's kind to little kids. He's kind to the waiter. That kind of person just is a wonderful companion. And, and I've learned this is totally off topic of eBay. I don't know. I if know. I'm Here we go. Let's just do a romance show. But um I've learned that you don't really know somebody until you watch them when they're angry. You know, you're not going to make them angry, but like, how do they react in situations? Because um, if they're like a real jerk when they're mad, then that's going to, that's going to be directed at you at some point. So watch, watch them from afar. (laughs) Then that, that's a Southern thing from afar. The house was on far. <laughs> I'm tracking with you. Um, no, but You're just right like about watch, that. watch people right when about they're that. angry, upset, under pressure, stressed out, and see how they behave because you're going to have to live with that. Exactly. Yes. So. And if you're on a long road trip, you're going to have to be in the car with that. And Greg, I, I have to say he has never ever. This is crazy to me. Never lost his temper. I've never seen him lose his temper. Um, that's unusual, but my dad was like that. He never lost his temper. And and he's just, you know, there are men like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's out there. So anyway, um, enough of my personal dating woes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Moving um, on back to eBay, back to eBay. You got into eBay to um, for a little something extra besides um, sitting all day, which right. I can relate to that. Um, and so what was the the thing that really got you hooked? Like the maybe the first thing you sold or something that was like enlightened you to, wow, this can really work. Um, well, you know, I, I think the most exciting first thing I sold um, and often this is a little side thing, but when you live in a certain part of the country, a lot of times there's a a special thing that is only in your part of the country. And for uh, one of the things I found was um, this little, it was just a, they're like a dancing Santa and Mrs. Santa uh, figurine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see those Christmas figurines all the time, but this one had a name on the bottom and it was Simpich, S-I-M-P-I-C-H. And there's this family in Colorado Springs that have had since 1952, this little puppet theater. 
So um, I picked that up for a song. I got home and looked, oh my goodness, you know how your heart starts beating when you find out something's worth, it was worth between $500 and $1,000. And so oh. I I sold it um, for about, I think it was about $700. <laughs> And the fun thing was this this family that had this puppet theater, um, you know, they made the puppets individually. So each one was, and I, I found some more um, like little angels that they made and I made $250 on their angels. They look like uh, almost like paper mache little faces, but the bodies are made with cloth and so forth. And the woman who bought it from me taught the little boy, she was a teacher, retired, and she taught the little boy or the man that owned the business when he was a little boy. Oh. She wanted to have this special little figurine. It was called something like uh, Oh, Be Joyful, I think was the name of it. It was okay. really sweet. Mm-hmm. So, it was a so, local that, business. so the sale, there's several things that happened there. It was, a, it was a fun thing. It was a big sale. It was in my community and it meant something to somebody. And I think the reason I do vintage is because of that, that personal connection. And yet uh, the other day I was telling somebody I midwife memories. And I really think that's what you do when you sell vintage items, which is my favorite thing to sell. Midwife memories. Yeah. I like to midwife memories. So you take something that you just know that it's going to belong to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that feeling. Like I take something, I find something. I know there's somebody out there that wants and needs or remembers this thing. They might've had it when they were a child. They might've, oh, maybe used this particular spoon or bowl when they made something with their grandma. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. And those are the fun stories that you get back. Yes. That is what, that's one reason I like vintage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I call that rehoming. Just- oh, I like that. Taking like you do with animals, you know, you take it, nobody wants this animal, it goes to the shelter and then it gets rehomed with a family that loves it and has a better life, um, hopefully. And so I feel like that's what we do is we definitely provide a service when you're finding items and you don't get those heartwarming stories, comments on non-vintage items. Well, not as much. I mean, I'm sure you do, but that's where I get the comments and messages from the buyers is, oh, I had this as a child, or this was my mother's favorite and she's gone now. And, you know, I can have this and think of her. And um, it really does make you feel like you're doing something valuable. It does. And I think your work needs to have some meaning to it. And that just, um, you know, writing was always meaningful. Uh, But eBay, it has to be meaningful as well. And when I get those little stories of, you know, I had this doll when I was a child, I've been looking for it forever. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. Or maybe like uh, I had one where the mother was in a, a nursing home and she wanted to get the mother a doll she had when she was a child. Oh, And it was just so comforting to the mom. So, you know, you just never know. You know, I was just thinking, I bought recently five cups off of eBay. Nobody else would think anything about them, plain. But they were the cups that my my nanny, my grandmother used. I'm going to give them to my kids for Christmas. 
and tell her, you know, tell them this is Nani's cup. We called it Nani's coffee. Um, nobody else would have bought those things, but they meant something to me. Right. So you're on both sides of the situation there with providing items as well as finding items for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what kind of writing do you do? Well, let's see. I started about, gosh, and then, okay, I don't know how many years ago this is. I'm terrible at math, but in the early 90s, um, I was living in a crazy situation. We had four children. We'd taken them uh, to live in a cabin. It was 835 square feet. No, no, 65, sorry, 865 square feet cabin. And we slowly expanded it, but it was crazy. We lived in the country on the lake, critters. I I had all kinds of stories happening. And so to kind of make the best of a crazy situation, humor was my coping mechanism. So I would tell stories, I'd write stories. And eventually my mom, I come from a family of female writers. So my aunt wrote, was the first one. My mother was a writer. Um, and so she co-authored my first book with me that we sold. And it was called Worms in My Tea and Other Mixed Blessings. <laughs> back then, <laughs> so back then I was Becky Freeman. And so if you look up the books, you know, that's that's what they would be under. So I wrote my first book with my mom. And then she and I wrote one more book, Adult Children of Fairly Functional Parents. And then I just took off. Mother retired. She went back to gardening. And I wrote and wrote and wrote. I wrote a lot of family humor. Um, I wrote personal stories. But that also required, as you know, when you have a business, it requires promotion. And so that meant I had to Trap back then it was travel and speak and do interviews. Of course, today that's turned into blogs and podcasts. And you really, you know, authors I think have to work a lot harder now. Mm-hmm. So overall, Suzanne, I have written over 60 plus books for like traditional publishers. Oh, that's not, not published. <laughs> And some of most of them, uh, the first half of my career were my own. And the the second half, I started ghostwriting and collaborating. But I want to tell you one thing. So I wrote my first book with my mom. And then this was so special to me. Um, About, I think it was about five years ago, I wrote uh, two books with my daughter. One was, it was called We Laugh, We Cry, We Cook. by Zond- it's out there with Zondervan with my daughter. And so it was just really special to me to have my, my mom and I, she's the one who helped me get started. And then my daughter and I wrote a book together. We dedicated it to my mother and she died the next year. Oh. So, you know, I just, it was really a special, special thing for me. And then I started writing for doctors and therapists. You know, they speak in, uh, complicated language and details, but I'm interested in that stuff. So I understood a lot of it, but I could, it was like a translator. I could take doctorese and make it infotainment kind of for the average person. So I wrote a book uh, a few years ago with Dr. Earl Henslin called This Is Your Brain on Joy. And I've done some work with Dr. Amen as a researcher and writer. So it's really funny to go from writing as a mom of four about funny stories and then ended up writing about brain science. I mean, I'm just all over the map. That is very interesting. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm an definitely interesting going person. to look up 
look up your books and see what they are. Um, you know, I wrote a book last year, a memoir, and um, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do because it, you have to relive everything. And oh, and yours was, uh, I haven't read it yet, but I do know you lost somebody precious. Yes. You do go through it again. And if you don't, if you don't feel it, the reader won't feel it. Well, yeah, you have to have, I wanted that emotion because a lot of it is about his uh, descent into addiction and me being the, I saw myself as an enabler, but I also saw myself as a protector and that's a really fine line. So I know everybody eventually is going to have a loved one that faces addiction Yes. Some point. And you don't really know what to do. There's no right answers. And a lot of it is a lot of it was about, can I live with myself if I do this X, Y, Z, whatever the thing was. You set boundaries and some, and they, can I I live with myself if I don't help him? Yes. How am I going to feel about this in 10 years? You know what? That's where I was coming from was I didn't want to regret giving up too soon or not being his support person. Cause he didn't have one. I, I just filled that role. So that, that was a lot of the, um, the anguish of writing that was reliving all these decisions I had to make that nobody knew about. I'm just living my life on the outside. I look like I got it all together. But boy, <laughs> yeah, we do that, don't we? And um, intuitively I just, um, felt that people need to know this. They need to know that those yes. people in front of them on social media, on TV, whatever it is, their lives aren't perfect. Everybody's right. got stuff they're dealing with. And I've gotten such wonderful uh, feedback, comments, and emails from people that were like, I'm so glad you did this because mm-hmm. I went through the same thing and I didn't know what to do either. So <laughs> I'm so glad you wrote that, but I can't wait to read that. I, you don't know this about me, but my, my old, I have four kids. My oldest son is almost 40 and he was also um, mentally ill and, and, and had addictions for and was homeless for a while. And, hmm. um, and I learned a lot about boundaries and what to do and what not to do. And there's, you know, it's really complex and it's chronic and it's very difficult and it's, um, Oh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just always there. It's a cloud hanging over you when mm-hmm. you have a loved one like that. Um, recently, not I think maybe three years ago, I did a book with a man who um, overcame addiction. It's really unusual. It's called Unhooked. Mm-hmm. And it is about not only his journey through addiction and recovery, but his family's. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. So it kind of, you know, he'll say what he went through and then what his family did to help him. Um, but back to when you're dealing with someone, any kind of chronic issue like that, um, grief or, you know, a child that has a mental illness or whatever, I found that I had to find something that was absorbing and fun and angst free mm-hmm. in order to free my mind from worry, from that worry loop you get into. Mm-hmm. And that's where eBay came in. It was, it's really been therapy for me a lot of times to just be able to, I could not get my mind to stop worrying. And I just, okay, I'll go in, in to a vintage store. I'll work on my eBay. And that would kind of take my mind away 
from that loop of worry. Yeah, when it, it changes so the energy. And um, of course, he died in March of 2020, like mm-hmm. a week after the lockdown. So I'm just by myself dealing with this grief. No, can't go anywhere. Everything's closed. You know, it's so depressing. Everyone's all like, what's happening to the world? And it was, if anybody listening lost a person during all that COVID mess, um, you know what I'm talking about? It's just layers and layers of what am I supposed to do? And depression, but I'll tell you what, um, we're the saddest time. And I, I thought about people who lost someone during that particular time. That's a trauma. It's a trauma. It's a trauma anyway, but to grieve alone and to not be able to have those funerals, that yeah. is, you know, it's just, it's very traumatic. And I, it's not been that long, Suzanne, since that happened. I'm sure you're still processing it sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Things are better, but um, the, that was the closest person to me in the world. Oh. And um and it's a different relationship with a partner than it is with a child. So yes, of course, very my, much so. My very much so. My children is different, but um, it was um, you know a lot of guilt of could I have done more? Um, should I have done this or that? Should we have tried prevention? Right. Like you, you have all this guilt. Um, but eBay was a, a break from all that heavy thinking. You know, I yes. was. I was just in such a, um, I was so grief stricken. I'd never experienced that before, right? You just can't do anything. Yeah. And, and so I would, I would say, okay, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to list one thing on eBay. And I would just, every day I would, I would do that and make the time a little bit longer, or I would, um, what do you call it? Time block. Like, okay, I'm only going to think about this and cry from six to six 30 at night. That's I'll just save it all up for then. That's a great that, idea. And I would just great. have my cry because you, you yeah. got to work through all that physical. Grief. You got to get those tears out. There's, yeah. I don't, I, there is some studies. I'm not sure, you know, how true it is, but I have heard that there is a different composition from tears of um, joy mm-hmm. and tears of sorrow and the tears of sorrow have, um, chemicals in them that I really believe that you need to get out. That's why yeah, it's, you like a, a it's like a bit of a lifting. Yeah. You're it's purging. purging. And some people, they cry for a week and they're done. No, me, it was a year and a half every day. I would just do it in private and just, you know, it was like exercising. It was just to release that, um, grief. <laughs> yes. and, um, you know, I get it's it. whatever you need it to be. David Kessler's books helped me a lot. I read every single one of them. Oh, I have to write that down. Okay. I'm looking yeah, at that. He's a grief expert. He was a um, hospice worker. Oh, wow. So he, he is quite an expert on it, but anyway, I didn't mean for this to turn into. Well, that's that. okay. But, but no, the, know, the point a- is that eBay is a welcome distraction from these serious, heavy things you're dealing with, no matter what it is, um, because you can focus on that. It's short, you know, five or 10 minutes to list something, or you're working on taking pictures or your, your mind is on something else that, you know, it's, it's interesting and entertaining and you're going to make a little money. So exactly. It has to be fun. It has to be angst-free and it has to be absorbing and, 
you know, you just need those. You also need, like, I, I would just, when I, I went through a period of grief with, after I lost my first marriage and it was um, every morning, I would just try to go ahead and get the tears going and get it out over because I would feel a lifting afterwards and I could function for a while. So yeah. I've just got to where I just cried in the morning, got it over with. Yeah. And I can see why people that are dealing with grief um, end up with addictions themselves. Uh, drinking yes. or pills because it's just yes. painful. You just you just don't yes. want to feel the pain. And you're going to take the life preserver or the morphine. You know when yeah. you're in such pain, whatever. And that's how addiction often happens: is they're taking something to medicate themselves. Grief mm-hmm. is the same way. It can be very tempting to just you know try to medicate it. Whereas doing something that is like eBay or some people, you know, this this is not the only thing. Some people get into cooking or whatever it is, but it has to be something angst-free, absorbing and fun. And you think when you're in the middle of it, this is never going to end. I'm going to feel like this forever. And you just can't see beyond what you're dealing with. Uh, But time definitely helps. Um, and you're not being disloyal to the person if you're not grieving for them. I had to figure that out. That's true too. It's like if if I'm not upset and crying about this person that is gone, who who is? So I need to do that uh, to keep so, their memory alive. It, yes. It well, I'm, it yeah. sounds like you got you got a good book and you had a good roadmap through mm-hmm. grief. You just can't. It, it helps a lot to have somebody go with it go through it with you, both a professional person, a therapist or a group, but also just maybe a friend who's already been there and is on the other side of the bridge to say, Mm -hmm. you know what? I know you feel like this. I did too. But on this other side, I promise you there's an other side and it will be better and you'll be okay. And those people really mean a lot when you're going through the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I hope that this little conversation helps somebody out there who might be (laughs) really off subject. (laughs) I mean, because at some point, everybody's going to have to go through this sometime in life. Um, you know, it's, it's unavoidable. It's part of the human experience. And it is, well, um, I cannot wait to read your memoir. That is, tell me, tell me again what the name of it is. It's called chicken and dumplings from heaven. Oh, I love that. I love (laughs) that. That title is significant to something that happened. He was a chef. That was my favorite thing he made for me. There's a bit of a supernatural twist in uh, after he died. So I'm just going to look at that. So I I um, will so look forward to reading that. That is wonderful. So let's get back to your eBay. And I want to hear about this um, $1,700 sale (laughs) that you timely. um, It just happened perfectly right before this podcast. (laughs) And it was so funny because with snowboarding, that is a whole new thing for me. And I know you've just moved as well. So we both are trying to figure out how to do this, but I've got to go back and forth and I'm still figuring it out. To be honest, I went from having 700 items on my eBay and I took it down to 70 because that's what I could fit in my car. Oh, <laughs> but you, well, that, wasn't that you that just bought the giant lot of egg cobblers? Oh yeah. I'm buying here. So I've got, the, already got it back up to a hundred. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm feeling, I just, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this thing, but I do know that whatever I do, I've got to, like you said, get things that are a little bit smaller 
that I can fit and I can take back and forth. I might leave some things here and some things there, but if you close your store, you know, and you open another one, some people have said, well, why don't you just have a store in Arizona and one in in Colorado? And I feel like closing the store will just be bad for the algorithm. And -hmm. I'll tell you what, going from 700 things to 70 things is bad for your your algorithm as well. Yes, Plus that is drastic. Off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, really, last week, I, before I had the $1,750 sale, I sold a $25 elf. You know, as things had gotten really slow, but I, um, I brought these things with me. So I found um, at Goodwill in Colorado, near our home, four great big, Japanese intricate drawing looking things. I I didn't know anything about Japanese art, but they looked interesting. There was like samurais, warriors, dragons, all these things that, you know, that boys love. And they were very detailed and they were marked. uh, I think they were $5. I ended up paying $3 each and they were framed and they were heavy and they were bulky. I took them home and I very carefully opened them and I saw that they were, um, you know, maybe something special and very old. Well, long story short, I did find out that they were, and they're called Japanese woodblocks prints. And they're, they were from the late 800s, 1800s. And um, they were by a, an artist called Yoshitoshi. Wait, is that and, where the, the writing was backwards or something? Yeah. Well, the writing was Japanese. I had to get my Japanese sister-in-law to interpret it for me. Okay. So on the edges, it had a lot of Japanese imprints. And she said, it says something about ghosts, she told me. Well, it turns out that he did a series of these woodblock prints called 36 Ghosts. They're valuable. They were, you know, and they were original. People do sell them, but a lot of times they're not original. You can tell they're original because when you turn them over, it's a bleed through on the back. And plus the paper is really, it's rice paper. It's thin. Anyway, long story short, um, I ended up selling all of them for around $2,400. Ah, can you believe I sold one right away? And then last week when things were so slow, I sold the other three for $1,750. So that is the biggest sell I ever did. And, you know, from $12 to (laughs) $2,400. never have that happen again. I don't you think. You don't know that. Um, well, you, know, you don't know. You just a, don't know. But it made me great. interested in Asian art now. Of course, you know, when you learn, you have something like that happen, you kind of go down the rabbit hole learning about it. Mm-hmm. So one morning I was looking up and I saw on my shelf this Asian um, ginger jar. It was really pretty, but I'd had it sitting there for several years. I got it for $5 at a thrift store. I decided to turn it over and it had a Chinese marking on it. So now I can use Google search. I didn't know about that or Google lens mm-hmm. and I did it and it came up and it was, I could tell a valuable piece, fairly valuable anyway. So I sold that for $300. Ah. <laughs> and that so, was a personal item. Yeah. It's sitting on my shelf. I had no clue. I'm I'm really getting interested in Japanese and Asian art now just because of that. Things that you would, you know, completely overlook before are very interesting to me now. Okay. And how handy to have a Japanese sister-in-law. 
Well, she comes in very handy. I love Mickey. (laughs) (laughs) So is this your brother's wife? It is. They live in Hawaii. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, my brother's wife. I'm sorry. It's my husband's brother's wife. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. That's sorry. He's taken to I wish Greg had another brother for you. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm kind of far away. Um, Okay. But so you're a snowbird. So how many months are you in Arizona? Well, this is this is new for us, but we are planning to be here eight months a year, I think. Anyway, about half a year. So we're going to be here um, September through Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then go home for the holidays and then come back probably January, February and stay through May. And then, of course, we'll escape and go back to Colorado where the summers are beautiful. And we have 10 grandchildren and seven of them live in Colorado. So, Mm. you know, we really want to be there for the summers when they're out of school and for the holidays to make it special. Right. Well, so you moved to escape the snow and I moved to Greenville. One of the reasons was because they do get 10 more flakes a year than Atlanta. I did not know that. Well, a lot of times wow. the storm is coming up from the, the Gulf and it <gasps> just misses Atlanta and then Green, but Greenville gets it. So are you happy like, that's just an added, an added bonus. Um, you know, maybe they get snow three times a year where Atlanta, we might get one that lasts. Well, for it, is fun to, it is fun to have snow. I like it. I don't like it. I don't like snow in March and April and May. And uh, by then no. I'm green, we get okay. snow all the way into May, all the way. I've had it on Mother's Day before. It's crazy. <sighs> and that, and also with that seasonal affective disorder, you really want that spring. You're just waiting for it. And we, Colorado really does not have much of a spring anymore. It's just snow. And then it's summer. Have you tried the blue light for the. I did. That's so I funny. Tried that I tried too. everything, everything. Yeah. So supposedly the blue light. Um, it tricks your brain into thinking that you're getting more sunlight because, um, yeah, it, it it is a real thing if you don't get yes. enough sunlight. And it really does help. Take your vitamin glasses even that you wear then, for 30 minutes um, a day. Make sure you get outside when it's sunny. You know, even if it's for 10 minutes, stand on your deck and That's face right. the sun or whatever. Um because, you know, the holidays are depressing for a lot of people because right. they're, they're missing loved ones or they don't um, they don't have money to do things they want to do. Or it's just like it's so overblown. It's so like we get marketed to death. Um, <sighs> they were putting Christmas stuff out in the stores, you know, before uh, right after Labor Day. Right. Like the, the, the holidays in between don't matter anymore. And <laughs> well, the good just, thing for eBayers is, you know, they start buying our Christmas stuff in um, October and sales pick up, but you're absolutely right. And with 10 grandkids and all those kids, Christmas is exhausting for me. Mm-hmm, it really, mm-hmm. it's wonderful, totally wonderful. But by January, I am just a puddle of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And so I really love the going back and forth. So when we're here, it's kind of like a little honeymoon. It's just the two of us. We remember, oh yeah, we're married. We have fun. We, 
I remember you, but when we were back in Colorado, <laughs> it's much more, we're just, we're Nani and Poppy. It's about the grandkids. We're mom and dad. And we, we don't mind that at all. We love it, but it's really nice to have that period to concentrate on family. And then here also, also in Arizona, everybody's retired. So there's friends have a time, Greg golfs. I go out to lunch with friends and, mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of nice to have it all separated. I'm I'm really enjoying this. I'll let you know how I feel in three years, but I love it right now. <laughs> well, I can say I am enjoying this chapter of my life because um, my kids are 26 and 28. They are completely independent. Right. They want to be independent. Um, you know, they don't want to ask me for anything and I don't have any pets. They all expired. Uh, I had four at a time and it was like, one four years in a row, I had to put one down, and I just oh, that my I'm painful. My animal soul is is just used up. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love. I understand people. after after losing so, four, that's painful. Yeah, I'm very I'm mobile. I'm not, um, and I don't have to take care of anybody but me. And so, as a caregiver all my life, mm-hmm. um, I can now direct that energy towards myself, <gasps> and. Um, I have a joke with my kids. I'm like, yeah, um, this, this chapter of my life's all about me. It's a selfish phase. It's just, it's, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And I've never had this before. So yeah. it's just, it's very liberating to um, be able to do whatever you want and not have people de- or animals depending on you. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I don't know how long this period of time will last because of all of our kids and I have an aging father. I might not, I mean, I may go back into caretaking, but right now all our kids are settled. Even the son I told you that was, you know, having problems, he's doing great right now. I don't know. It's just like a little magical time and I'm going to enjoy every single minute of it because I know there'll be, you know, a time where I have to jump in and take care of somebody. Um but right now I'm having fun. I'm going to enjoy all of it. And you're kind of the poster child for my target audience. <laughs> I kind of really? attract people around my age in the same station of life. I mean, there's, there's all kinds, but really 85% of my audience is um, between 50 and 65. So a lot of free retirees, retirees, mm-hmm. So let's talk about your eBay workflow since you're going to be talking to a lot of people in your same station of life. Yeah. Like my workflow, meaning like what I do or like or weekly, I, like what, you know, where do you get your stuff? How much time do you spend on it? Kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So uh, estate sales, I really love those. Um, I feel, I know some people think that's kind of sad, but I don't think it's sad at all. When I go into a home where someone's you know, passed away and left their items, I feel like it's a blessing to be able to take the things that they loved and make sure they go to somebody else who will love them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just going to be thrown away. So, and I, I don't know. I just love it. I feel the, I feel good energy when I go into a home, mm-hmm. um, of someone who loves their items and I want to make sure that they go to the right places. So I love estate sales. I also though do um do a lot of goodwill and savers and thrift stores. I love those too. And you never know. You just don't know. I have a little honey hole here in Arizona um where it seemed like I always find something good. The first thing I found there was a little Madame Alexander doll. And it turns out she was rare. She was little and mm-hmm. about 
oh, 10 inches tall. Her name was Klondike Kate. And um, she turned out to sell for, gosh, I think $450. Awesome. Totally awesome. And every oh. time I go to that, it's a little honey hole in Arizona. I, I have to travel 40 minutes to get to it, but I um, always find something good there. So you never know. It could, And those Japanese prints, I found them at my local Goodwill. You simply don't know where you're going to find them. I did, I did something kind of fun a couple of weeks ago. I've never done this before, but I did an online estate sale. Have you ever done those before? I have looked at them. I've never bought anything, but I well, looked at the pictures. I was left alone for a weekend. Greg was gone and it was raining. <laughs> unsupervised. She I was, was unsupervised and it was raining. And I had two days of that. And so <laughs> I said, I'm going to try this. And it was really fun. I ended up winning about half the sales and I only spent $65, half of the things. They came in lots. I knew I was going to have to probably, you know, just get rid of some of them. Um, but what you do is at least this one is you bid on it. And I would not bid until the last 30 minutes, just get yourself a cup of coffee, sit there the last 30 minutes and bid. And then you pick them up locally. So all I had to do was drive to the house and load the stuff in my car. And I did get some amazing things. Um, I got a tea set. And so remember I paid $68 for all of this stuff. I got one tea set that was worth $400. You know, you never know. So I think, uh, where do I get stuff? Everywhere, you know. Everywhere you um, can. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. then um, what else did you ask about that? So after I get this stuff, I make a big mess and then I have to organize it. And I love I love every aspect of eBay. I love the photographing. I love the I like wrapping the packages. It feels like doing a puzzle. Um, and I would say I sell before I moved, I would sell probably three items a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my over the I, I just printed out some statistics, which is not my thing, but I wanted to see what I had done. And three years ago, um, I was just doing it part time. And I was I think I was averaging thirty three dollars an item. But like you, I wanted to get up to 50 Mm-hmm. And I've just noticed that this last eight months, I have gone up to $48 an item, which oh. I'm feeling really good about that. Yes. Um, I felt really good about the money I was making. And then I discovered when I printed this thing out that eBay takes a lot of it that I didn't realize. So <laughs> yeah, you got to watch your statements. That's right. <laughs> I do. I mean, that's, it's a, I, so I think I'm making about 12000 a year net. Okay. And I would, you know, I thought it was more than that, but Hey, it's progress. Well, but in some parts of the business, you can't put a price on, you know, owning your time. That's true. You're you're out running around going to thrift stores and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to grab some lunch and fun going. And if you're feeling the mojo and you're finding stuff, you know, I've, I've been gone for eight hours. Uh, oh yeah. Hunting. So we get um, lost in flow and that state where you don't know what time it is when time just doesn't exist. And yeah. That means you're doing lovely. what you're supposed to be doing. If you, if you don't even realize time is passing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and okay. what you said about um, your average sale price, 
um, I have changed that. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> tell me what I you're moved doing. because everything's so much cheaper here. Things <sighs> I was um, paying $6 for in Atlanta thrift stores here. I'm getting them for 50 cents to a dollar. So wow. that's a game changer. You know, I'm picking up things that I can sell for 25 if I'm only paying 50 cents. That's right. That doesn't work out as well when you're paying $5 for that thing. Exactly. So, and then all over what time, you pay. Yeah. Over time, mm-hmm. that's going to accumulate and make your money when you buy something. So I don't have to worry about getting as high prices. So that's true. If people are watching my store and they're seeing things for, you know, $25. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm that's doing exactly right. items. Oh, that was a quarter or senior day. Um, I was somewhere on senior day and I found all of these uh, trial travel size Neutrogena things that you can put in a lot, you know, the shampoo conditioner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they had this giant tub. It must've been 500 in there. And so I picked through all of them. And I pulled out the good name brand, you know, <laughs> and it turns out that they were like a nickel a piece. Oh, wow. And I wouldn't have even seen that in Atlanta. Um, you know, they would have had three of them bundled up for $4 or something like wow. that. And it was like, I, I just, I almost just asked, could I buy the whole thing? This whole giant Tupperware. Well, sometimes it's worth it just to buy. Yeah, I just, I didn't. It depends. Try not to get too much stuff in here, right? <laughs> right. So, I know. I know. It accumulates fast. The bottom line is that your business is going to pivot. It's going to change based on many different factors. And I don't know if you're seeing that in Arizona, if there's much of a price difference from Colorado. Um, yeah. Because, oh, yeah, I'll take that if it's a quarter and I can sell it for $30. Yeah, I'll do that. Well, and you know, the truth is, and it's kind of sad, but it's true in Arizona. There's a lot of old people. And so there's an abundance of items because mm-hmm. they're they're just passing away. And so there is more here. And I think the prices are less expensive. Um, but I'll tell you something else. I, I only go, I don't even let myself go on other days. I only go on half price day or senior day. And when I go to estate sales, I only go on the half price the last day where everything's half price. I don't even want to know what I'm missing. Mm-hmm. I just don't even think about it because I can always find something Mm -hmm. um, on that half price day. It's amazing what's left. If you have a good eye, Mm -hmm. one time we went to this estate sale, the very last end of it, everything was gone. And so they said, well, just come on in. You can have anything for free. We went in, there really wasn't anything, but I found a trash can and a junk drawer. And I, the trash can was um, mid-modern, cleaned it up and sold it for 25. And in the junk drawer, I found a bunch of keychains that were old and I sold Gosh, I think I sold the bundle of them for about $30. So my husband still laughs at me that I can find, you know, I can find anything anywhere and sell it. Um, but I, if you just go on the, the, the last part, you miss the crowds a lot of times, uh-huh. you get fabulous prices. So that's how I ended up with 101 egg cups this last weekend. Yeah, that was my <laughs> next question. I want to hear that story. <laughs> So they were at the stage where they're just giving stuff away and they had a marked for $3 each and there were, you know, a hundred. And then, so anyway, he just said, would you take them all for $60? So we just came out with a giant box of these vintage egg cups. And I mean, there's two or three of them that I can sell and make all of that back. So 
they'll be worth it. They're small, they're easy to pack. But yeah, I end up with some crazy stuff. But at the end of a sale, a lot of times they're just, they're going to take it or give it away. And they just want you to, they're bargaining. Mm -hmm. So you can get some wonderful things and you don't have to fight crowds. Mm -hmm. Well, and those egg cups, I think they're also called egg coddlers. Well, there's two kinds. Okay. So the, the egg cups are like, they're, they're like little cups, of course, that you've seen that you could put a poached egg or in, I don't know. I'm not from England, but I think they tap the egg and they eat the middle out of it. Mm-hmm. And the coddler is more of, I thought they were um, like just little trinket holders because they're, they're porcelain, but they have a lid on them. They fasten together, both yes. sides, clip together. And then don't you boil that in water? Have no idea. How many of those egg cups have you listed yet? Well, um, I've listed two. I only got them on Saturday. Okay. So I've been spending a lot of time researching and, and I don't know if you do this, but I love researching. So when I had them all, I started, I thought, I'm just going to go and look up a few of them and see what they are. Well, it was 3 a.m. and I was still researching them. I was, ah! just, I was on a high. I love to find, well, what's this one? Where's this one from? And so I'm mostly doing the researching now, but now I know what they're all worth. And I can post them. Well, and that will keep you busy during the holidays and the seasonal effective time. Yes. <laughs> we'll yes. have that project until you get sick of it. If you're like me, you're all enthusiastic when you start. And then yep. you get about halfway through, you're like, okay, I'm ready for this to be done. I'm tired of this. I want the <laughs> next thing. Yes, exactly. I love, I love the haul. I love coming home and I love figuring everything out. That's my probably my favorite part. But there there really isn't anything about eBay I don't like, except if you get if a if a customer is unhappy or something breaks, I don't like that. I mean, I just I'm I'm so sensitive that I really hate to disappoint somebody. Um and I think that's probably true of a lot of Southern women. So when somebody's not happy, it hurts my feelings and I just hate it. Well, I had to decide at the very beginning that if I was going to have the fun part of eBay, I was going to have to figure out how to handle it when somebody doesn't like something mm-hmm. uh, or it doesn't work right. And I just decided I was going to treat them as if um, it was me. What would I want? Well, how would I want someone to treat me? I'm usually very generous um, and kind. And for the most part, Everybody has been very sweet and understanding. And a lot of times my best reviews are for somebody, you know, who didn't get what they wanted, but they liked the way I handled it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you just have to kind of figure in that you're going to have some of those. It's okay. And then I try to think about it, get it done, get it over with. Don't dwell on it and get back to the fun part because those things can really bother you if you're a sensitive person and take the joy out of it. I've only had one really one in all these years, a one really, really nasty person. Um, but anyway, nobody yeah. likes that. Right. So I all mean, like the cha-ching sound. That's really fun. I was just going to say, you, you're just moving on to your next ka-ching because yeah, fight for the um, next ka-ching. It really is all about damage control when you have a situation with a customer. Yes. It's not always just like, knee-jerk reaction, give them their money back. That may not be what they want at all. They may just want to be heard that, oh, this, you made a mistake. And then you can just say, 
oh, we apologize for the inconvenience. How would you like to resolve this? That's and right. Back on them. And then sometimes they say, oh, five dollars or I just want to let you know or, you know, see what they want in a very um, general and non-defensive way. Yes. That's where people get in their own way is they they become immediately defensive and like, I'm not giving you any money back or that's, you know, you're too picky or whatever. The, and it's right. like, you know what? There's no sense in going there. The objective is to keep as much of their money as you can <laughs> and not <laughs> yeah. get the item back. So just say what, how would you like to resolve this? That's and, right. And just see what they say. And most of the time it's, it's more reasonable than I would have offered. Yes, I agree. I, that is exactly what I was going to say. Ask them. And you you know, I know how to do it in a sweet way. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm so sorry. If that happened to me, I would feel the same way. How can I help? What can I do? What, what would make you feel good about this? Yeah. And I know there are sellers that just have never had any customer service experience. So they don't really know what's professional or they don't know what to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, these are just people like you and this is in any situation in life, whether you're in a restaurant or get a speeding ticket or, you know, just be friendly and don't be defensive. And it it will usually turn out better if you're just nice about it. Yes. Than just, absolutely. I'm not giving you any money back and, you know, they're lying and okay, well, what if they are lying? You can't change that. That's who they are. That they do that to everybody, not just you. <laughs> no, that's really true. And the one person that was so awful, you know, he left a bad review. I tr- it was just awful. And so what I tried to do, so what I, you know, how you can respond, you can respond. They won't usually take it off, but you can respond. And I, I responded, well, I'm so thankful for all my customers that are so sweet, as you can see, and all these other reviews. And I'm, I'm sorry, this man wasn't happy. And I really felt like he was uh, kind of misogynistic in the way he answered it. And I said, I just, you know, I think people that read this review will take, will understand the bigger picture, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, it really didn't affect my sales. I got uh, lots of good reviews after that. And you just have, it's hard. It's not fun. It takes me about 24 hours to process something like that, but I try yeah. real hard to let it just roll off my, you know, like a, water off a duck's back because I need to get back to focusing on what I love or I'm, if, I wouldn't be able to do this. Compare this to other jobs where the customers across the counter from you being irate, oh, and unreasonable. And being oh my. Um, yeah. You, you have time to think about what you're going to do and ask for help on Facebook groups or whatever. And um, you don't have to answer immediately. That's what gets people in trouble is you know, they'll get a negative feedback or they'll get some nasty message from a buyer and then they just immediately react. And you don't want to react. You want to respond in a very calm, professional way. And for right. me, I have to walk away from it. Me too. Back later or even sleep on it and be like, yep. what should I do here? Actually, mm-hmm. in the shower is the best place. <laughs> Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, something where you're physically you know, moving or something yeah, the different. Water is happens. like changing your energy. And so mm-hmm. you can I get my best ideas in the shower or in the swimming pool. 
I totally agree. You've got to you let it go until you're until you feel yourself calm. And in that, my I had a therapist after my after my divorce, and and uh, he said, now "What does the wise woman within you? What would she say?" And so I always think about that. Okay, now if I was wise and calm, what would I say? And then that's when I when I feel like I'm in that space, then I answer those difficult things. But I try not to do the knee jerk because boy, ooh, I, I would probably let loose with something that would not be nice. And it doesn't help us. We just, it just doesn't. Well, so and that's, that's the only part I don't like. Oh, something else I love is fixing stuff up. I have this little table I call um my Santa Elf workshop. So like a, oh, I found a, a doll, uh, Madame Alexander doll, and her arms are about to fall off. And so I sewed her up and I, you know, fixed her up, did her hair, put new ribbons on. I mean, I love that kind of thing. And I even figured out how to fix um, some things that have little tiny broken parts. I found out if you mix Elmer's glue and baking soda, have you ever done that? No. It makes, <laughs> so like chalkware or same things like that, just have a little part missing. You can kind of, uh, use that as like a little molding clay and put it on there and it will help hide the spot and then paint it. Um, but I always tell people if I do that, I will say it, ha- it has been repaired and, but you still get more for it if it's been repaired. And mm-hmm. I just like, I like fixing stuff up. I used to try to fix people. Um, and now I just, <laughs> They didn't like it. They didn't appreciate it. So now so that would be called rescuing. It so would be rescuing it would be. and rehoming. <laughs> I'm the same way. I I look at things um, like I'll go to the the clearance section of the thrift store, and uh-huh. sometimes it's stained items or they're broken. Right. I look at things with the eye of, can I fix that? Can yeah. I? Oh, I can. I found a cashmere sweater for a dollar the other day and it had this little hole on the underarm right on the seam, you know, it took me longer to thread the needle than it did to repair it. And, you know, just, I look for that. A dollar. I easily, what can I easily repair that all these other people before me have just left this item here and, oh, I can fix that. Or I can just sell it like that. That's right. And yeah, so I think we're it's very we're satisfying to rescue and rehome. Um, I don't like doing big repairs because I just don't want to. <laughs> right. And, it's, and often it's not worth the time unless you just get a, unless you just get a, a joy out of it. And I'm, right. I was such a people fixer that um, I really just enjoy fixing things now. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, I like to baby and nurture things. So I got cats. I do that to them now. My children are so much happier now that I'm fixing things and and uh, baby and cats and letting them yeah. just be who they are. I, I went through a time in my life with that, like get trying to change people. And it's like, you can't, people do not change unless they want to, but right. I can change myself and I can change my reaction. That's right. Things. And I can think how I think about things. So yes, um, it's the only thing you can really change. I can change how I think about things. um, And usually it's some kind of situation I'm not happy with. And I just keep telling myself something's going to come out of this. I'm going to meet a person. I'm going to learn something. Um, I'm going to see a situation in a different way. This is going to benefit me somehow. Just 
right now when you're stuck in it, you're, you're just like, Oh, I can't believe this is happening. But right. Right. Um, you just have to change the way you think. And most things, I mean, there's some things that are so tragic. You can't really find a, it's hard to find a blessing out of it. You just, mm-hmm. that maybe that your compassion increases. Um, yes. But most things, like when I broke my ankle, um, I was immediately thankful because I was where I broke it, where I like to be in Arizona and I got to stay here a little bit longer. And then by being here a little bit longer, we were able to find a little house that I wouldn't have found otherwise that we could afford and come back to. So you never know. I mean, most things you that are difficult, you can find purpose in the pain or you can make it better. Um, or you can just see that it's going to lead to something that you didn't see before. But a lot of it is your attitude. It's really it's the only thing we can change is our attitude. It really is and how we see things. Mm-hmm. And I think about if I'm on this planet, let's say I live to be 90. Is this thing significant? Am I going to care about this in a week, a month, a year, 10 years? And that most of the time me. it's no. It's like, this yeah. is such an insignificant thing in my 90 years on this planet. Just move on. That's right. Yeah. And that does help us, you know, even when you get a, like a, like a nasty um, email, is this going to matter? I think I could just move on and enjoy my life a little bit more. Yeah. I totally Let it go. Agree. Okay. Well, we've been going over an hour now. Uh-oh. I hope we, <laughs> I hope we, people some uh, practical ideas for eBay. I feel like we did a lot of um, relational and emotional and life talk as well. Hopefully that's helpful to somebody as well. And I think psychology is involved in reselling. There's a lot of psychology Mm -hmm. on both your part and the buyer's part, because uh, again, back to the People that are nasty, um, which I don't get very many of, but now I don't either. They're just a very small, small, like I said, one really. But what my mind goes to, and I've had to train myself to do this is like, okay, wait, this is not about me that they've had a bad day. You know, maybe they, um, their spouse was ugly to them or they had something happen and I'm very available to abuse. Everybody is when you're just emailing Mm. or sending messages because you're sitting at your computer and you don't know that person and um, they're just convenient to unload on. And um, so you just have to program yourself to think about like, is this about me? Not, it's usually not. It's it's usually something in their world. So, okay. Before we we sign off, I just want to thank you for all that you do and have done for us. And I know putting yourself out there on, on YouTube, sometimes you, you know, anytime you put yourself out there on social media, you're, you are putting yourself out there to be vulnerable. I appreciate you going through that so that you can get to people like us who need it, who appreciate it. You have made so much difference. Your videos have, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many things I have learned from you. And then I'll just go and I'll find that thing. Or, um, or just, just, I like hearing your voice and the people that do this. So I don't feel so alone. It can be very isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I still have got to get into that premium library. I can't wait to try that, but I have not done that yet. 
So well, so I've done time all thing. the videos that yeah, you that's have a on time YouTube. thing that you have to have time to, to work through it. Um, and it's set up to where you can come and go. So you can, okay. look, you can look at, uh, there's a place called monthly updates where, and it goes back two years. So you can see what was added when, and it links to it. So if you want to take a break for three months to move or, you know, go be grandma during the holidays, you can right. do that and then come back and you can see what was added chronologically so that oh. um, catch up. Cause a lot of courses I do have multiple segments, like the plush course, I think has 11 lessons now. And I just wow. keep adding to it as I learn stuff or, um, you know, I've, I've got a big list of things to do. And it's you know, endless. as a writer, you make lists of things. <laughs> you you try work through about 10% of it, but. <laughs> anyway. Right, right. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. So um, this when you have time, you can, you can check that out, but. I would, I'm going to. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today. And we will look for more of your amazing sales on the Facebook group. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the face group, group. They're very supportive and it's a lot of fun to see what everybody's doing. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again, Becky, for taking the time to come on the podcast. And we all wish you the best on your snowbird adventures. Okay, on to today's trivia question since Becky talked about it. What is the difference between an egg coddler and an egg cup? Here are five seconds to think about it. Okay, an egg coddler is a small jar usually made of ceramic or porcelain with a hinged metal or ceramic lid. These can even be egg-shaped, but you can recognize them by the hinged side. The way to use it is to crack one to two eggs inside the little container, add any other ingredients like you would put in an omelet or even no ingredients. You can stir that up or not stir it if you don't want scrambled eggs. Then you place the coddler in a small pot of boiling water for however many minutes to achieve the desired doneness. And there are charts online that tell you how many minutes to boil for soft boiled, hard boiled, scrambled, etc. Then you remove the coddler from the boiling water and eat the eggs right out of the container. Now an egg cup is a different thing. It is a small cup on a stand that you eat soft boiled eggs out of. Something you would see on Downton Abbey. (laughs) It is more of a British thing. It's just a fancy way to eat soft-boiled eggs right out of the shell without having to peel it. And Americans typically don't use egg cups. They're just tiny, cute little tableware specifically meant for holding a single soft-boiled egg. So now you know the difference 
when you are out there in the world sourcing and see these funny little things, you will already know what they are. (laughs) Okay, next week, my guest is Dr. Stephen Gitler. And I didn't even know he was a doctor until halfway through our conversation. (laughs) But he's the guy that sold two different beer bottle caps for mind-blowing prices, one for $300 and one for $600. And he doesn't even specialize in bottle caps. He just found these out in the wild. He is a lifelong reseller, starting when he was a teenager, going to conventions, and even doing a mail-order catalog pre-internet. So make sure you tune in for that conversation because he is very interesting. (laughs) Okay, thanks again for coming back every week to listen to my podcast. I appreciate all of you out there. And that's a wrap for episode number 86. And I will talk to you all next week. Have a fun day on eBay. Bye for now.